0: So Mike, you've seen this discussion around Airbnb, removing product management positions.
1: Yeah, I I definitely saw that that was kind of making headlines in the product management community. I don't know, a few weeks back, Um, but it was sort of not much more than a sensational headline. I mean, Airbnb is not really removing product managers, but they're expanding their role to be more aware of the market and really influence more than the product, but also the launch, go-to-market strategies, all of that surrounding the product.
0: Yeah. So in a way it almost expands the scope of products role and it's going to force us as an industry, a product industry to be more aware of marketing
1: and our impact on it. Yeah, that's true. You can't own the product without owning its in-market performance and we've already seen Apple move in this direction. Now there's Airbnb. So yeah, no need to panic if you're a product manager out there. (laughs) Our jobs aren't being eliminated by companies like Apple and Airbnb, but we do need to evolve. It is sort of a good reminder for that.
0: Yeah, so today I thought it'd be interesting to cover a topic that's gonna become more and more of a focus area for product managers, and that is product marketing, and more specifically, why most product launches
1: fail. Yeah, there's rarely a better teacher than (laughs) failure, so I'm in for this one. We've done a whole season on product failure, so I think this is a great one. Okay, well then,
0: let's get into it. Right after we roll the intro.
1: Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective, where your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike Balsito.
0: And first, a quick word from our sponsors.
1: As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI.
0: just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocket twenty-four. That's porkbun P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocket twenty-four. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. I saw this stat and it gave me pause for a second, right? American families on average repeatedly buy the same 150 items, which constitute as much as 85% of our household needs. And I feel... This is much the same for software, which means that once a habit is set, it's really hard to bring a new product to market.
1: Less than 3% of new consumer packaged goods exceed first year sales of $50 million, which is considered the benchmark of a highly successful launch for a company like, say, Procter & Gamble.
0: Right. And even those that do have a successful launch, many fail to stick. About 20% of products that do reach that milestone for right now we're benchmarking against P&G, they're not going to be in market within five years.
1: Yeah, The biggest problem that product launches face is lack of preparation. Companies are so focused on designing and engineering new products that they often postpone the hard work of getting ready to market them until it's too late in the game.
0: So today we're gonna review some of the top reasons products fail and hopefully give you some ideas on how to prevent your next launch from going the way of say, Windows Vista. Windows Vista. Exactly, no one remembers Windows Vista. So (laughs) without further ado, reason number one why product launches often fail is that the product itself Falls short of the claims that it makes now I know that the general consensus is to ship early ship often but it's not always the best strategy See, in 2007, when Microsoft launched Windows Vista, the media and public had high expectations. So did the company, which allotted $500 million for marketing and predicted that 50% of its users would run the premium edition within two years. But the software had so many compatibility and performance problems that, that even Microsoft's most loyal customers revolted. Vista flopped and ample lampooned it in an ad campaign that some of us might remember, called I'm a Mac. And that caused many consumers to believe that Vista had even more problems than it actually did. Mac? And I'm a PC.
2: (coughs) 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 Zontai,
3: you okay? No, I'm not okay. I have that virus that's going around. Oh, yeah. Right. In fact, you better, you better stay
2: back. This one's a doozy. That's okay. I'll be fine. No, no, do not be a hero. Last year, there were 114,000 known viruses for PCs. PCs, not Macs. So just grab this one. I think I got a crash. Hey, if you feel like that'll help,
1: good. If Vista was launched today, the outcome might even be worse. As social media and user generated reviews proliferate, the power of negative feedbacks only increased, making it even more imperative that products be ready before they hit the market.
0: I actually signed up for a product recently that had all types of automation and AI claims. I'm not gonna name the names, they're still early. I hope they figure it out. But it was a sales automation tool. I received nothing short of 20 emails from the founder starting at the pre-launch all the way through. It was an impressive drip sequence that eventually months later caught my attention. I figured, look, I'll give it a try. It required a credit card to sign up and it was a free trial and i started setting up the account it
1: sounds like this is where things went wrong
0: yeah (laughs) yeah so exactly as i dug in almost all the features that were kind of unique to the product that that you know they had been advertising and the drip, drip sequence was focused around um they were all coming soon once you got into the product but i wanted it for today and what it was today was effectively an expensive drip campaign tool
1: yeah so i assume you canceled that trial
0: yeah near immediately and while the product's interesting once it's built i'm not sure i could trust the company again to give it another try given like how deceiving some of the the forward marketing and the drip campaigns were around that launch it kind of feels like a lot of wasted effort
1: yeah i i totally get that i mean you're you're getting in there ready to use the product and they're like wait hold up it's actually not even here yet (laughs) so totally understand and another example kind of comes to mind you remember the app color
0: oh yeah 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 i think this is actually a great example
1: Yeah, 2010, post-acquisition of his previous company, Bill Noyne, he started this new venture, Color. And in order to make Color
0: his biggest success yet, he recruited none other than Peter Pham to be his president and co-founder.
1: Yeah, Peter Pham was the former Bill Shrink CEO and Photobucket VP of Business Development, and now one of the co-founders of Science Inc., which famously incubated lots of companies like dollar shave club for instance
0: yeah and so together they raised 41 million dollars without even a pitch deck right? It was essentially raised on the name and pedigree alone before the eventual idea for the company was even developed. According to Peter, when he was recruited by Bill to co-found color and be their president, it was originally going to be a gaming company. Gaming?
1: I, I don't think I realized that.
0: Yeah. So I found this clip of Peter talking about it with Sarah Lacey, Jason Kalkanis, and a few other folks for Pando.
1: It
3: was not, it was not the vision though. evolved the first, call it, month we were there. I mean, we, we started- proximity-based oh, social network is a brilliant
2: you know, idea. we
1: started off supposed to be a gaming company. Oh. I actually don't no even knows well, that. No, we know that. Well, nobody knows
2: that. And yet you ended up selling T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> you ended up producing.
1: But this wasn't just a gaming company. Bill was obsessed with the rise of mobile, specifically the sensors and geolocations that phones had the capability to capture.
3: The mobile's changing everything, obviously. Let's build something interesting around sensors on the mobile devices. In and, and kinda of start we started in the augmented reality space of maybe designing games around that and quickly we just kind of and kinda of stepping back, I would never have done another photo sharing company, right? If if of in the vision you were out of it. You I wanted just, to share bills. <laughs> <laughs> Bill sharing just books. after yeah. Photo Bucket to do another photo sharing, I just didn't want to do. But then as the you know, when you're kind of in the thick of things and we had a one of the most amazing engineering teams that that we had recruited. We started going down this path that, you know what, the sensors and gaming really doesn't work, makes sense, but fuck, the sensors should help define what the social network is. And and, and it's going to be, I still believe the vision is true, I just don't know when it's going to happen, which is... You know, the devices and the amount of time I spend with Jason and Jason, the times I see you, it will over time be smart and intelligent of Mm -hmm. who my friends are and who's in the room and, and, and the application of the data will define my new social networks. That was always the vision.
0: So they eventually landed on this vision, as Peter described, of a social network that was uniquely mobile and connected people based on their location.
1: So before they even launched, Color started off by spending $425,000 for the domains color.com and color.com the the (laughs) english spelling like the british spelling and and the uh you know american spelling and before color launched its app the new york times reported quote color rents a cavernous office in downtown palo alto where 38 employees work in a space with room for 160 amid beanbag chairs tents for napping and a hand-built half pipe skateboard ramp
0: (laughs) so how was this color app actually supposed to work
1: okay so it's like if we went to the same concert together um, I could get access to everyone using the apps photos of that concert creating this sort of shared experience where you build a social network based on who you are most often around. It was a unique idea, and
0: honestly, they had the cash and the team to pull it off.
1: Yeah, but things started to go sideways.
0: That's right. March 24th, 2011, the much-anticipated new social network that had the tech media buzzing.
4: $41 million in funding and lit up the blogosphere. But can color live up to the hype and mark its territory in the world of social media? Color is a cross-platform application that allows users to share recently snapped photos with others in their vicinity. Its launch last week provoked intense debate from excitement to disdain for the idea. Many users have expressed frustration with the new app, giving it just two stars out of five on both the Apple and Android app stores. Privacy is one concern because the photos taken with it are automatically made public, and one security Security researcher at Veracode discovered that you can use a jailbroken iPad to get access to photos from users anywhere in the world. Co-founder Bill Wynne proved his success long before launching Color, his eighth technology startup. He's returned more than three billion dollars to investors. Apple. So
1: right out of the gate, Bill Noyne is on the defensive with a security breach and an app that was really underwhelming users.
0: Yeah, that people were excited to try out the app, but they're met with this sort of graveyard experience since the app was based on shared experiences, not necessarily connecting with people you know. So when you're onboarding onto the app, there actually wasn't much to do. Here is a
1: little bit more from that interview with Bloomberg.
4: Not everyone liked it, but nobody yeah. ignored it, yeah. certainly. Why is this a $41 million idea?
1: I actually, I hope it's a lot more than $41. <laughs> um,
5: you know, we, we, we have this very simple premise that we live in the post PC world now. So, what that means is our lives are really going to be around these smartphones, the things I discovered when I was at Apple. And what that means is instead of having virtual friends online and sending emails and photos, What happens when we have a social network wherever we are? At a birthday party, at a dinner, at a ball game? Why don't we get to know all the people around us, our friends, people that we've never met before? It's a new way of doing social networking, and it's about where you actually are, not about being on virtual reality and the web.
4: I want to take a look at some of the the comments that were, were posted about this. Paul Carr of TechCrunch said, every fiber of my psychological being is telling me the launch of color is less remarkable than me being caught in a rainstorm or finding a shiny penny on a street. Then you've got John Battelle, founder of Federated Media, saying, note to Facebook, Twitter, and Foursquare, if you don't get this feature into your service pronto, you will more likely than not be ruining the day color is launched. What do you think color is going to be? And how do you intend to prove some of these naysayers wrong?
5: Well, I think if you look at the technology industry, every time that you apply new technology to a, a known problem, People react very differently, from loving it to hating it. I remember the days of Yahoo. When Yahoo came out, they had all these amazing librarians telling us what the best links on the web were. And when Google came out, they said, you know, we're going to have machines telling you what the best links are. People didn't respond so well to it, but I don't think many of us Yahoo today anymore. We mostly Google. So same thing. I think that a social network designed around where you actually are, not having to pick friends, not having any followers, this is very disruptive for the people that have built a social network around the web. This is a very different type of social network, and it's designed around your phones and it really only works if you do it with other people. So it's a a crazy application because you have to have someone next to you. You can't really do it in your room at 4 a.m. in the middle of the night with a Diet Coke next to you.
4: It's truly social.
0: It's truly social. Not exactly a celebration tour. He's getting hit with questions no founder would want to answer after their first product launch. Inevitably though, Color was shut down shortly after, largely due to this disastrous launch.
1: Okay back with reason number two after a quick break
0: when rain wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep he had two choices construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow at and business eventually talked him into the pillow thing and backed by a reliable network the only network with built-in security controls sleep with rain was a hit Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com this episode is brought to you by yahoo finance wouldn't it be great if you could see all of your investment and retirement accounts in one place with yahoo finance you can consolidate your views with multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence honestly this has been a lifesaver for me i've used yahoo finance to consolidate all of my various 401k and investment accounts so i can see everything all In one place. And it makes it incredibly easy to manage. So if you're struggling with that, check out Yahoo Finance. For over 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart a great investor. And that's how Yahoo Finance ensures that you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. So go to yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. Okay, so reason number two that product launches often fail is one that we all often struggle with, and that is the product isn't differentiated enough from its competitors
1: in the market. Yeah, for its biggest launch since Diet Coke, Coca-Cola identified a new market. 20 to 40-year-old men who like the taste of Coke, but not the calories and the carbs... And they like the no calorie aspect of Diet Coke, but they don't like the taste or the, you know, maybe feminine image of it. So C2, which had half the calories and carbs and all the tastes, so they say, of the original Coke, is introduced in 2004 with a $50 million advertising campaign.
0: However, the budget couldn't overcome the fact that C2's benefits, they weren't actually distinctive enough like men rejected the hybrid drink. They wanted the full flavor with no calories or carbs, not half the calories and carbs. And the low carb trend turned out to be quite short lived, right? So this is a good lesson, positioning a product to leverage a fad is often a big mistake.
1: Now, why didn't these issues come up before the launch? Sometimes market research is skewed by asking the wrong questions, or it's just rendered useless by failing to look objectively at the results. New products can take on a life of their own within an organization, becoming so hyped up that there's no turning back. Coca-Cola's management ultimately deemed C2 a failure.
0: Worldwide case volume grew by only 2% in 2004, suggesting that C2's few sales came mostly at the expense of Coke and Diet Coke, so they didn't actually add any sales to the bottom line. The company learned from its mistake. A year later, It actually launched Coke Zero, a no calorie, full flavored product that can still be found on shelves today. So mistakes can be good if we learn from them.
1: All right, but what about a tech example of this? Do you remember Google Plus, Michael?
0: Of course. I mean, honestly, how could I
1: forget? <laughs> we had a whole episode on the product failure of Google <laughs> Plus, right? And but let's touch up on it here. It officially launched on June 28th, 2011. And well, let's listen to one of the early commercials that Google used to promote this new supposed quote
2: Facebook killer. There are there are definitely, you know, there are definitely these relationships in your life that um or in my life that have stuck with me forever and ever, and I'm sure will be with me until the day I die. Um, and every now and then I'll make a new friend, and I'll I'll think, you know, do I really have, do I really have what it takes to take you on board as a new friend? Is this going to be worth it? And you know, particularly at my age, are you? Are you worth taking on board? And, you know, you got to take a chance on people um, because they're taking a chance on you.
1: And Google was sure hoping that people would take a chance on them and join this new social network. And it had all the makings of something that actually could potentially compete with Facebook.
0: And Google's big... I'll start that whole thing again. And Google's big idea was around their Circles feature. The idea that the people were acquainted with They're not exactly equal. You may have friends that you're connected with, but there's a difference between your work friends and your old college buddies or the people you hang out with at the gym and the people you might go to church with.
1: But was this really the only differentiator? Because rewinding myself back to 2011, I remember thinking that it was an interesting feature.
0: Yeah, but is it really enough to build an entire social network around
1: Well, not everybody would say so. For this episode, we actually caught up with Morgan Knutson, who's pretty well known in the product design world. And he was one of the first designers on the Google Plus team. He was actually recruited to join the Chrome team. But as soon as he started, he got moved over to the Google Plus team to join the hundreds of others that were at Google that were also focused on it. And ever since leaving, Morgan's been a vocal critic of Google and its Google Plus efforts. And Morgan didn't feel like the circles concept was really enough to differentiate. Not at all.
2: You know, I think my first impressions were the same first impressions that everybody had when it was launched, which was, you know, this is essentially a Me Too product in a market that has an entrenched incumbent. You know, and not only that, it's difficult to monetize. So, you know, I didn't see any, any room for success um, from the beginning. Uh, but, you know, the enchantment of joining your first corporate gig put the uh the the blinders up the beer goggles on whatever you want to call it yeah i mean i think that was the fundamental issue is that they were essentially making a product that already existed and had a you know massive user base of you know almost everyone already and at the time you know facebook was in was huge, right? Everyone was using Facebook. A me too product
0: coming from someone who was on the team helping to create and evolve that very product. It's a harsh criticism.
2: Yeah, and in the end,
1: I mean, Morgan was probably right, right? Like circles, it wasn't enough of a feature to get people to switch. And sure enough, by the end of 2019, product no longer even lived on the internet.
0: But could things have gone differently? Let's go back to your conversation with Morgan.
2: Because it was so expensive, it needed to pay off in a way that made sense. So maybe, maybe if the project was started organically, like some other projects at, at Google, Chrome, for instance, was started organically. And there's a number of other things that, you know, somebody thought it might be cool and they did it. And now it's a product that millions of people use. This was the opposite, right? This was like, hey, we need to get this thing. Let's develop something that might get us this thing and then throw tons and tons of money at it. Um, now, if this would have been started as like a, Team of a few people who had a vision and had a reason for this thing to exist outside of a you know basically a, a, what what would amount to a data grab, um, then maybe it would have Maybe it would still exist, and maybe it would have done well. Um, and and maybe the vision and the path they could have gone down that would have been successful w- would have been to supplement other social networks, right? Um, building features that they didn't have and focus in on the user base that Google had already fostered, essentially, you know, the nerds, right? The people who would want to use crazy things like maybe a custom post module that, you know, breaks down the specs of a PC um, or, you know, any other kind of unique and interesting way to share what's going on in your life that, that may not just be a photo that gets, you know, a couple hundred likes um, because you're in the Bahamas, right? Like they should have, they should have fo- in my opinion, they, they could have focused on who, you know, their customer base could have been. And then, you know, w- would it have, would it have, you know, amassed billions and billions of, of users and netted them this valuable data set that they wanted? Probably not, but it would have been a product that a lot of people used and loved and, you know, maybe would have produced a lot of value in a different way. So
1: possibly, I mean, there could have been a much different outcome for Google plus maybe, but that's not the timeline (laughs) we're living in right now. So consider it a lesson learned. Okay. Back
0: with one more key reason product launches often fail after a quick break.
1: Okay. Reason number three, why product launches often fail The product defines a new category and requires substantial consumer education, but they just don't get it. For
0: example, in 2004, P&G launched a scent player that looked like a CD player and emanated scents. Uh, It contained like discs for $5.99 that were named like relaxing in the hammock, and it would release the scent every 30 minutes. The company hired the singer Shania Twain to launch its commercials, but this confused consumers even more. they thought the device was actually both music and sense, and the ambiguity caused scent stories to ultimately fail.
1: Yeah, when a product is truly revolutionary, and I'm not <laughs> saying that the scent player was, but you know, strong educational campaigns, they're going to be probably a better way to go.
0: Another way to look at this is it's a problem when the product is revolutionary, but there's no market for it. So let's talk about another product. The buzz spiraled out of control for this one when news of a secret new product codenamed Ginger was created by the renowned inventor Dean Kamen. And it leaked to the press nearly
1: 12 months before the product release. It came in, it was said, was coming up with nothing less than the alternative to the automobile. When investors and the public learned that the invention was actually a technologically advanced motorized scooter, they were dumbfounded.
0: <laughs> Ads showing riders who look like circus performers perching on weird-looking chariots, it didn't help. Nor did the price tag of $5,000. Instead of selling 10,000 machines a week, as Cayman had predicted, the Segway sold about
1: 24000 in its first five years now they sell far fewer units to police forces urban tour guides warehouse companies it's not really a thing for the general public if there ever was a product to disprove the axiom if you build it they will come it's the second <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's right so speaking of if you build it they will come Webvan actually comes to mind. Webvan, the now well-known poster child of dot-com bubble excess. um, They were one of the companies that was part of the tech crash in 2000.
1: Yeah, remind me again what Webvan did. Okay,
0: here's a commercial from 1999. You have the right to remain where you are.
2: You have the right to a weekend. The right to avoid parking lots. The right to spend more time with your family. You have the right to come home from work and find something good waiting for you in the fridge. The right to impeccable produce, well-marbled beef, fish and poultry of the highest integrity, and the right to receive them at everyday grocery store prices. You have the right to be in your house when a delivery is made. The right to open your front door and be met by a friendly face and the right to have someone else unpack your groceries. You have the right to the good stuff. Brought to you
0: by Webvan. They were basically the Instacart of 1999. Webvan was founded in 1996, by Lewis Border, who also co-founded the Borders Group in 1971. They did home delivery of groceries. You'd pick your order online and then they'd package everything up, they'd bring it right to your door, and they wanted to replace supermarkets. Rather than being complimentary to them, they actually had their own food
1: storage facilities. That sounds incredibly complex for a startup company.
0: Yes, this was one of their fatal mistakes. WebVan, they actually decided to build their full infrastructure from Scratch.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it was a really involved process. Um, they had built this fully automated fulfillment method, but before they hit scale, there were also additional real time inventory management algorithms that would make sure that if a customer ordered milk on the website, it was currently in stock. Software algorithms would route delivery vans to multiple deliveries to minimize drive time. And there was software on palm pilots in drivers' hands that would actually deal with real time delivery confirmation or returns. Okay, an incredible involved fulfillment process for a company that at its peak was really only operating in 10 cities.
0: Yeah. And they raised over $800
1: million. Yeah. I know you talked with Ben Foster about Webvan and Ben led the product team in charge of the customer purchase experience at that time. You all talked about what kind of catastrophic failure there was at
2: Webvan. This is way back in, you know, 1998, 1999, 2000, really kind of the pinnacle of the dot com uh, excess and, and the ultimate bubble burst so we were doing online grocery delivery and you could buy all your groceries online it was a really cool interface for doing that and then you could choose a 30 minute window for delivery of your groceries to your door with all of the frozen items being frozen all the chilled items being chilled you know um really kind of like a, a superior level kind of like experience that we were trying to deliver um, so the idea was really cool in many ways i think it was ahead of its time but to put its collapse in perspective, uh, we had uh, a $1 billion valuation as a publicly-held company with $300 million in the bank. And less than a year later, zero everything. (laughs) Uh, Zero employees.
0: That's right. So anyway, this about wraps us up for this week. I hope you found some of these case studies helpful, maybe even inspiring.
1: Yeah, hopefully inspiring you to do the exact opposite of everything we talked about here.
0: Agreed. Agreed. So until next time, for Mike Belsito, I'm Michael Saka, and this is rocketship.fm.